Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Welcome to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, the show where... The two who this podcast are named after forgot what rain was like <laughs> and can't even drive through a puddle to get to work. It, it's like they don't even know what it is anymore after the drought that we've had, Dave. To hear them say it, you think Moses was going to need to come by and part the waters for them, <laughs> but I really, no, you guys don't even understand. We can't even traverse this fjord. A fjord? That's that, what they. That's what I heard. That's what you heard. Yeah, I heard through the grapevine. They saw. They saw a puddle outside of their respective places this morning, and they're like, "That's it. Can't do it today." You know, not to not to unzip our topic fly right off the <laughs> bat, but we're going to be talking about things that we could repair in the words of the movies. Maybe that's the topic for today. Rick and Nick fix this. Where's Rick and Nick? They've maybe maybe made a cameo in the almost ninety episodes, and now a puddle. We're so past them at this point. But we welcome you to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Joel Hoover. I am not Nick nor Rick, but Dave Brooks. That's right. And we are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport. All the road construction there on Highway 2 is wrapped up now for a few weeks, so it's it's a little easier now. Well, much easier now once all that's done to be able to get into the Bemidji Theater. And once you're there... They are getting back to having a full slate of movies. If you are still not quite there yet as far as going to the to the theater and seeing a movie in person, keep on supporting the Bemidji Theater. Stop by for concessions. You can get popcorn, you can get your you can get your icy, you can get your snacks, and it all supports the Bemidji Theater uh, here in town, especially if you're a moviegoer who just isn't quite ready to go back to the theater yet. You can keep on supporting the Bemidji Theater, and they certainly appreciate it because the concessions, they go a long way towards supporting them. And as big a movie fan as I am, I haven't been, still have not been back to a movie theater since just before the pandemic, January of 2020. But I have gone in, and I've gotten popcorn and the big bucket deal and uh, and other goodies and ices. Can't find those really anywhere else and brought them home and then watched a movie. And in a way, that actually supports the theater more than buying a ticket because the majority of the ticket cost for every like $10 ticket, a dollar of that $10 ticket will stay with the theater. You go to the snack bar, though, and that's a whole other story. So if you don't want to support your local theater, make sure that it's still up and going when Hollywood really does reopen, like for real, for real. Go to the snack bar, get something, and bring it home or bring it back for movie night at your house. That would support them. It doesn't seem like it would, but it will. That's right. It's the Bemidji Theater, again, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport. Well, today, uh, Dave and I are going to get our hard hats on a little bit, and we Already are going spoiled it. Already spoiled it. Kind of. Not totally. I mean, kind of. We're we're gonna do we're gonna do some renovation work today. That's that's gonna be our goal, and we're we're gonna delve into fixing things a little bit. It, it it's like a fix it episode today, but but not really extreme makeover movie edition. Uh, that's that's what we are getting into today. It's grandma's advice. If you can't say something positive, 
If you have to be critical, fine, but you better come up with a solution and not just be critical. Well, this isn't good, and this isn't good either. Come up with a better idea. That's right. Yeah, so we are going to do just that. But first, a quick a quick look around the movie scene today. Um, things are just kind of moving along. We're winding down the summer here. Um, we've, we've got some new releases that are on the way, which we talked about in our last episode. Uh, one of them is, they're, Sha- they're making some adjustments though already too. So. Are they? Well, we said when we did the fall preview, all of this is subject to change and there is one or two that are starting to pick up and move and others like bond as of right now, we can't afford to move bond. It's got to stay. Yeah, please. No, it's been moved enough. <laughs> I'm, I am ready to go see it. Um, but one of the movies that is not moving as far as we know, is coming out very soon. Reviews are starting to come out on it. Is Shang-Chi, The Legend of the Ten Rings, which we talked about last time, and reviews have been very good yeah, on that buzz. one. Yeah, so like you said, very good buzz that's been coming along on that one as Marvel kicks in its new phase and, and continues to cycle in some new heroes to get into. Apparently, they this this one is is looking very very good. Apparently, the villain is excellent. Who they've got in this, and it's a very good origin story to integrate another superhero into the Marvel catalog. And I, I don't knock comic books. I'm not a comic book reader. I think I've maybe read five in my life, and uh, I, the fact that I can go into these movies fairly ignorant. I didn't know who the Mandarin was before I saw Iron Man 3. I had no Mandarin. idea. And it wasn't really the Mandarin. It the was, Mandarin. What was his character's name? Not the Mandarin, but the... I'm Archie something, whatever his name was. That was fun for me. That was a pleasant surprise. But I saw that movie with somebody that was a hardcore comic book reader, and they were mad about it. But I thought it was great. So I don't know anything about Shang-Chi, so when I do go to see it, I'm going to come on completely ignorant on it, and from what I'm hearing, I'm going to love it. I'm checking here, trying to remember who the Mandarin is. Oh, Ben Kingsley's the, the actor who played, not Ben Kingsley, but Ben Kingsley played the actor who played the Mandarin. That's right. It's like it's- Archie something. Does It doesn't really matter. It was just, it was a fun reveal spoiler alert, that it was, because he was intimidating the first half of that movie, like, ooh, this is good, and he just turned out to be like Peter O'Toole playing the Mandarin. He did. Well, which which I can respect, because it's Peter O'Toole. Yeah. I'm Charles Postlewaite. I'm not the Mandarin. Trevor Slatery. There we go, Trevor Slatery. Trevor Slatery, I'm a.k.a. Trevor. I'm Trevor, the not the Mandarin. I'm Trevor. I am, but I'm not the Mandarin. Yep, so Shang-Chi is coming up here uh, in the very near future and, and is is getting its release here shortly. Um, Free Guy's getting great, not just reviews, yeah. but the numbers from the first week to the second week didn't drop that much. And there's kind of a there's pandemic or no pandemic, there's sort of a, a formula in Hollywood. If it drops, they're going to drop almost half from what it was week one to week two, and that's the norm. If it drops anything less than like 45%, that's good. This one dropped like maybe 30%, maybe upper 20%, which means people are seeing it, good. liking it. They're telling their buddies, you got to see this. And now all these other people that weren't determined to see it are going to see it. This is a very good sign. Great personal example to that. I had some friends who were planning to go see Free Guy the other night. And they said, I mean, just just word of mouth buzz. They're like, it. I've heard it's really good. I've heard it's it, it's funny and it, that it's it's worth going to check out. So and talk about original. You know, this is not yeah. part seven of anything. This is you know very very original idea 
that's an obscure concept. Let's take some random background extra video game character and give him a whole life. What? And apparently it works. Yep. And and the buzz has been very good, just as you said, Dave. And yeah, but it, it's nice to see that that word of mouth being able to to once again work. There's nothing quite like word of mouth if it's going well sometimes, especially with with a movie that maybe you didn't expect to do this well to to really find some to find a, to find a niche in that way that that draws a lot of people in too. I mean, we've seen some recent examples in in the last several years of that, but especially with COVID still going on, it's nice to see a movie still be able to have that kind of pulling power, even though there's the streaming option that's out there for people these days, and there's questions about going to the movies and things like that. It's nice to see a movie still have that power and potential to do that. Yeah, there's there's also the other part of it. How many times have we really wanted to go see a movie, and you go to see it, and you only realize after you've plunked down your hard-earned cash that it's a clunker? Sometimes you know. I knew yeah. Crocodile Dundee 3 was going to be bad. But I just it was right around 9-11. It was just before or after. I was like, I need a comedy. And I knew it was going to be bad, but I wanted to revisit an old friend. But it was not the comedy. It was not, it was not good. <laughs> but I knew it going in. But how many times have you pre-ordered a video game and found out when only once it arrives that it's just a steaming pile? And now you go, I don't know, I'd like to see that Ryan Reynolds movie, but I don't know. And then you find out it's really, really, really good. Well, maybe I will go. My hard-earned money will go to something positive, and I'm not going to walk out of there. Man, another one got me. This yeah, is good. Agreed. Yeah. Just don't go to Crocodile Dundee 3 next time. Yeah, skip it. First two are really good. The third one in L.A., new. You know it's probably stretching things a little far then. It was a total money grab. You knew it going in, too. He'd lost his Subaru sponsorship. Oh, I need to make some money. Crikey. And he went and made Crocodile Dundee 3, and it was... Well, we'll see if that ends up being the movie that Dave is going to do some renovation and repair. No. 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 Okay. So... How about I explain the concept of how this came about? So so we have done, on, as part of this podcast, a few Fix-It episodes. Um, that's that's one of our, our long-running, long-standing... Sometimes we go back to this kind of concepts for, for the show. T- today, we wanted to Make take... Make things better. That's right. Make things better. Today, we wanted to focus the Fix-It idea specifically on, on two different types of movies. First... Uh, we wanted to focus on, let, let's say you get to pick out a singular movie, one movie, and you get to go in and do your own renovation project on it. What would you have done? Would there have been perhaps a director who you would have put in place? Maybe yourself, if you think you've got the ideas for it. Dave Brooks maybe would make himself screenwriter because Dave has some very good screenwriting ideas that he that he has on file in, in that, that wonderful cranium of his. Sometimes they just conjure up out of nowhere, out of the blue. That's right. See what happens. Maybe nothing. Usually nothing. So a singular movie. Uh, that That's the one area that we are going to be doing some renovation and some work. The other is on a franchise slash series of movies. Let's say you get a chance. You would get a chance to renovate one of those. What would you do? Something perhaps from well in the past. Maybe it's one that's currently ongoing. But what would you do to fix that and to, to hopefully make it better? Because... We're going to get into some some movies that have disappointed. I think bottom line, these are movies that that have disappointed. You you can picture this like like us being Gordon Ramsay or Ty Pennington, and we're going to go in there and we're going to try to fix this up. Now spoilers are forthcoming because there might be something about the plot we didn't Plenty. like, and another spoiler just right off the bat. We've we've made ourselves the deal. We'll only mention it like right here. 
we're not doing Star Wars. That's right. That's too easy. That is, as you called it, what would you call it? What did I call it? Low-hanging fruit. I did call it low-hanging <laughs> fruit. That's right. Too easy to attack. <laughs> but we'll we'll just we've already put it on record. The sequel trilogy and the prequel trilogy, but the sequel trilogy especially could use a lot of attention, but it will not be getting ours today other than this little shout out. But we're looking in your general direction. We are. Yeah. We But we will go in other directions. Because Dave and I have both been uh, of the mindset that the sequel trilogy was ill-conceived that even as they were creating ideas on the fly much like what was done in the original trilogy itself they did not craft those ideas very well or they they did so while undermining previous parts of the series or or not paying enough service to to previous parts of the series as well. And then when they made attempts to do that very thing, well, then it created inconsistency within the overall story. If they and were building thus a Star it fell Wars flat. house, they built the load-bearing walls out of balsa wood and wondered why they just crumbled like that. Huh. So that's all we'll say about Star Wars, but it needs a complete reconceptualization, rebirth. And right now they're doing better things, but we'll leave it at that. That's Star Wars. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe someday someone will be brave enough to go... All right, we're going to take oh, this we're whole... brave enough. Well, someone will be brave enough to go, all right, we're going to take this whole canon concept, we're going to throw it out the window with those movies, we're going to say that they are Star Wars legends, as has been done uh, since the takeover by Disney. We're going to say those three sequel movies are legends, we're going to actually put together a proper story. Maybe someday someone will, will be that crazy enough to do it. I've heard rumors that, yeah. Really? Well, I've heard other things also that some things in the TV shows like Mandalorian or so forth might put contrast to the canon already. So to kind of phase out the sequel movies to some degree, it's only rumblings. I'm not saying it's anything confirmed. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying there's rumbles. Maybe it's fantasy. Maybe it is something, something. They put so much into those movies, though. And what, I, for what? Right. Anyway, we keep saying we're done with Star Wars. We keep going down Star Wars. We're done. Star Wars yes, go. we're done. Okay. Dave, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here and have you go first if you, if you are really eagerly anticipating sharing sure, first. Sure. I don't know why, but my mind could not get away from, you know, thriller horror territory for some reason for some reason i don't maybe it's are you late, serious it's late august it's not like we're right down halloween lane here but, but for some that's reason one of your favorite genres if it not is. your favorite genre it is. but there's so much problematic with those things i mean i could jump into a lot of different things before i go jump down the rabbit hole that i was just about to jump down there's a lot of things that i could do we could talk stanley kubrick i think almost any of those movies would be better to some extent, maybe it might lose its artistic flair, which is what I think Kubrick's strong suit is, and he totally lacks on plot. So I think a lot of those could be done. Point in case, case in point, The Shining, you know, his version versus the TV miniseries version from the late 90s, hugely different, and I love the TV version much more than the Stanley Kubrick Jack Nicholson version. So I think a lot of those could be better. Anyway, do I do individual or shall I start with a franchise? Whatever one you prefer. I'm I'm going to go with the opposite then. All right, I'll start with a franchise. Next, for my first one. All right. I we were talking about stuff this last weekend because we were out hanging out by the water and Jaws came up. So that'll be my franchise. 
that we could adjust. Now, I'm not going to make any suggestions about the original movie. That is almost as close to a perfect movie as it gets. It's no surprise that you picked Jaws no. with how near and dear to your heart it is. It is a good one. I'm also not going to touch Jaws 2. I think as worthy of a sequel as it could have been, it was. Could there have been a thing or two done differently? Yes. Uh, even when the movie was starting to be worked on and they were having problems, because they had a different director than the one they ultimately went with, uh, went with who was the French director, Jeanette Schwartz. Schwartz, it was this, this is his name. But they had a guy named John Schwarz. Lee Hancock who was, they, they were falling apart around him and the producers approached Spielberg. And Spielberg actually had an idea. It was about going back to the USS Indianapolis story and kind of fleshing that out when Quint was aboard that World War II destroyer that had delivered the atomic bomb and then got sunk by the Japanese sub and half the crew pretty much got eaten by sharks. That's a true story. They finally did make a movie about that only kind of recently that wasn't that good. Nicolas Cage was in it. Uh, It wasn't that good, but it's a great story in and of itself. And that was Spielberg's idea. And had they waited for him to finish Close Encounters, he theoretically was going to do Jaws 2, but Universal Pictures says, no, we need to get this thing done sooner than later. And that's where you start running into the problems. Because you want the studio that, hey, we can make some money. Let's do it again. It might not be any good. Yeah, but we can make some money. Yeah, but you're driving this plane into the ground. Enough to the point now. Jaws 3, watchable but not good. And Jaws the Revenge killed that franchise. I mean, you can't, there's not been a Jaws 5 for a lot of reasons, and Jaws the Revenge, number four, is one of the big ones. And Universal had everything, oh, that's that's a great idea, run with it. (laughs) Which is why there's no more franchise, other than the ride, and even that's been shut down, other than Universal Studios Tokyo. So, Jaws 3, you stick with the Brody family, but it's a completely different thing. Now they all work at SeaWorld, and it doesn't really seem to make sense. And the shark does things that no shark could do, and it just was overcooked. And now we'll make it in 3D, too. It'll make it even more fun. And then Jaws the Revenge, the way they started the script, this doesn't really make it into the movie, but there's elements of it that do remain. There was a voodoo curse that was put on the family. Oh, my gosh. That the Jaws shark, was Bruce the shark, was pulled in on the... And that, that's how it came down there, and that's how the wife, Ellen Brody, has got a psychic connection to the shark. And it was just... It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. The movie was, was a horrible example of why you should make a movie. Oh. But that's not to say that there isn't room for a good shark movie. So how could you fix the franchise? I'm on record to say I'm not going to even touch the original movie. It is... Perfect. And Jaws 2, could it be better? Yes. But I'm not going to touch it because I think it's a very worthy sequel. If everyone hears the Jaws sequels are horrible and you never saw the second one, try it again. See it. It's good. It really is. It's not the, it's not the original. Rarely is the, ta- it's the case where the sequel is better than the original and there's no exception here. But it's a worthy follow-up. After Jaws 2, here's where we need to get the cleaning crew in and start tearing things down. Um, it's not about nostalgia. It's about fixing it. So what do you do to fix it up then? Because I, I mean, the Jaws concept has gone has gone on ice, basically. Yeah. Pun kind of intended there. It, it's it's frozen. The the water is frozen. But I look at at natural movies of that nature where nature strikes back, and they've they've almost become camp. I mean, you look at some of the 90s versions of it with Anaconda, you know, uh, 
snake-based movies like that. Then you look in the 2000s, 2010s, Snakes on a Plane, Sharknado, you know... it, it's become like a camp trope. Like if if, if you're you're going to get campy if you have nature striking back. But there are some good examples to the contrary sometimes. Like I, I've seen whether it's been a, a stranded at sea kind of concept. There have been a few of those that have worked. That but you can't just you can't just rely on the frights to to be able to make those work. There has to be a, a real genuine sense of dread, and it's a concept that's been done so much that the genuine sense of dread is gone, and so they've gone into the how can we make it into a kind of a, a parody of itself is, is what's been done. So if you go back and fix those movies, how do you do it in a way that is that is faithful to the Jaws concept but also is original then as well? The Jaws concept depends on what you're talking about with the concept. Now, is this about sharks? Or is this about the Brody family? Or even at a more basic, boil it down to its basic element. You know, this. I think the heart of the first movie is is Chief Brody. Here's a man who's terrified of the water. He's a former New York police person who's come to work at a small New York island, the fictional Amity Island, which is Martha's Vineyard where they filmed it. So it's kind of like a playoff of that. Who's afraid of the water, but he lives on an island. And yet he has to be the only person, really, to stand up and confront what could tear this whole island community apart. And that means he's got to get in the water and fight a shark, which is his ultimate fear. And he does it. He stands up and and mans up and overcomes really not so much the shark, although he does, but what's inside him holding him back. And so by the time you get to the second one, he's a changed guy. But so I think you need to, for a couple of things, you need to, what I think the solution is, is keep that general boiled down to its basic element, but it can't be about the Brodies. It starts pushing logic to the point. Even Liam Neeson, when he was doing the Taken movie, says, if we ever got around to Taken 3, which they did, it's got to be about bad parenting. I mean, how many did you let your kid get kidnapped how many times? You know, now it's bad parenting. Now it gets ridiculous and it pushes the realm of credibility if it's always about the Brodies. And once again, they have to shake down a shark. I get it when it comes to things like Ripley facing down the aliens, but it has to be something else. You have to expand the scope. It can't just be one person or one family's connect the dots with different shark encounters. At some point, and if again, you don't even, want to run into sharks, you move to Iowa. And again, even that one only worked for two movies with, yeah. with Ripley. Yeah. Yeah. And after that, you gotta just you gotta move away. So what could you do? I think to make Jaws work as a franchise, it needs to become somewhat more of an anthology where the constant is going to be sharks. Now, you could get creative in anything with Jaws. It could involve a bear. But no, you're going to stray too far. There's a reason that Halloween 3 didn't work out, and they were going to do an anthology series. It had nothing to do with Michael Myers. It had something else. You can't get away from the whole shark concept. That's what Jaws is known for. That's what it has to be. But I think you'd have to come into something more of an anthology. But just like what you were saying, you have to have more than the scares. You have to have something that's there, not just jump scares. There's a place for that, yes. But Jaws was straight up horror, and it tickled in a couple of different ways, that inner primal fear. And this is what I mean. I, to this day, and I'm a grown man, and I know there's nothing in these Minnesota lakes anything longer than my leg bone, my, you know, my thigh or my, my shin. But I don't care. 
This isn't about you know your head intelligence. This is about your gut intelligence. My gut intelligence doesn't care that National Geographic has said, look, there's nothing in the link that's going to hurt you. I don't care. I saw Jaws. That's the thing. It's the primal, and it has to work on the primal level because at that point, logic be darned. But it got to the point, there is a line. You know, the whole voodoo curse and the shark followed them. How the heck did the shark even know? You know, let alone if they even the shark looked up and saw the plane fly south. Well, maybe they're going to North Carolina. No, how could you know the Bahamas? It got so stupid. Yeah. So you have to find that line and stay way far away from it. But you have to have that primal thing. You have a shark issue somewhere. And it doesn't always have to be a shark is gnawing on the legs of swimmers at a resort community or a beach community. There's a lot of different things you can do. And not all shark stories are great, you know. Some of them are just popcorn fun, like The Meg is a more recent shark movie yeah. where the Megalodon might still really exist based on a series of books. And the books were successful, they were popular, but they were popcorn movies. What if you did it in a way that was much more primal and what if? It's just a what if. What if somehow there was one Megalodon that managed to survive down on the Marianas Trench below some thermal current and for one reason or another, something allowed it to escape and now an ancient predator thought extinct is back. Could it be done in a way that's not campy and really tries to go for real. If this was a real thing, and it took one step beyond you know rationality, the audience will take that one leap with you. Could you do it in a way that's fun and not campy and not a roller coaster ride, but the thrills alone, there's your roller coaster ride. And moments of humor, absolutely, even the original Jaws has that. But you have to play it serious. You have to play it to the bone. And so Jaws, the new Jaws 3 would be, let's just say, the Megalodon thing. You come up with a, a, a reworked, less campy, less wink-nudge version of the Megalodon, and you play it straight. What if? There's no Megalodon. We all know they're extinct. You have to play it that way. And so somehow there is one, and it comes loose somewhere, and now you've got a problem. This thing could breed with another shark, and it would breed a whole new race of maybe not quite Megalodon, maybe not Great White, but something in between, which is bigger than anything we have, and it could throw the balance out of whack. You know, it could it happen? Yes. So something. And then the fourth one would be about something else, and then the fifth one would be about something else, and get some time in between these movies. But when you know there's a Jaws movie coming out, you know it's not going to deal with the Brodies anymore, but it's going to be a good shark movie that's going to play it seriously, and it's going to be like, say, The Conjuring, where it's always something very different, but it's got very similar elements. That's kind of the idea, and I think it's too late, honestly. I think if they were going to come back with Jaws, they would almost, and I don't think you can reboot it. You did the first one as good as anyone will ever do it. To try to do it again is a disservice. If you want to make The Wizard of Oz 2, which they did, Return to Oz, was actually pretty good. If you want to do another one, great. But don't remake what has been made right up until Jaws 3. Tear all that down and everything that came after it and start again. That's the solution, I think. I like the parallel to the conjuring movies of of the idea of how you would you would go about doing that and be able to try to maintain the original fear factor that came with it too but just as you said camp the the campiness the, those things those things came into play all too quickly and and it's become unfortunately very common among nature striking back kind of movies uh, like we talked about earlier, and that's that's become a problem in and of itself. I think the only direct continuity that I would go with would be like a Matt Hooper character, which was Richard Dreyfus in the original. Funny enough, when they did Piranha 3D, 
it wasn't explicitly stated that it was Matt Hooper, but it was Richard Dreyfus dressed as Hooper who goes out in the lake and meets his demise to the piranhas. And so essentially it was the end of the Matt Hooper character, but it was done wink nudge. But I think while you have the, um, oh, what's the last couple, the couple's name in the Conjuring movie, the, um, um, uh, the, the guy and the gal, the married couple, the Warrens, there we go. Matt Hooper could be the Warrens, so to speak. You know, there's another town that's got a shark issue. Whatever the issue is, we need an expert. I don't know what I'm dealing with. I'm just the mayor of this town. What the heck do I know about sharks? I saw Shark Week, and Shark Week now is a horrible show. I don't, I'm not learning anything about sharks because they had the crew from Jackass doing Shark Week. So what am I learning about sharks? I need some expert, and so the Oceanographic Institute is going to send down Admiral Hooper or whatever, who's helped out on a couple of different things. He's done a lot of research, and he knows his stuff, and he's going to come down and he'll help. A background-supporting character who can help lead this next cast, so may, and you have to recast the role. I don't think Richard Dreyfus would do it now. But uh, maybe that's the only direct continuity that I could see. But you have to make it an anthology show if you're going to make it something, and if you do it right – yeah. Yeah. All right, you got into a series, so I'm going to go into an individual movie then uh, to to go into my first one. But my individual movie comes from a franchise. It, it's a movie that it, it's a movie that I, I think a lot of people look at and go, "We just as rather cut this movie out of the series entirely." Like, when I tell people, go watch these movies, I tell them, when you get to this one, you can feel free to skip it. You're not going to get much of substance out of this movie. Any guesses what I'm talking about? Anne of Red Gables? Anne of Red (laughs) Gables. Well. I thought you loved The Dark Knight. What are you talking about? (laughs) I'm talking. I'm cracking my brain, but I'm not coming up with anything. Dave, I'm going to reach my hands into the filth that is Rocky Five. (laughs) (laughs) We, All right. We're gonna go there. Yeah, All right. we're gonna go there because I believe, I believe with some tweaks, Rocky Five would be redeemable. I believe there there could be. Yeah. Kev Jackson is is walking by and he he. I'm is echoing his hand, doing the side to side motion. No, I I think I think there are things about that concept that had they had they done parts of of Rocky Five like what they eventually did with Creed. I think it would have been a much, much better movie and a great transition movie then as well for Rocky and for the Rocky character. Because where does Rocky V open? It opens at the very end of his major fight with Drago. And what do we find? That Rocky is broken. Like, that he he has suffered some serious, serious physical punishing. And you find out later that it's... It's brain damage that he has sustained. Well, what do you find out later then in Rocky Balboa? Well, no, it ended up being that we they retcon it by saying that was a mistake. That was a mistake that that we found that you had brain damage. Like, come on, that he's a boxer. Seriously, like, yeah, you're just going to conveniently remove that so he can have another fight, even though Rocky Balboa was a good movie. It's like I thought that. You know, thinking back on Rocky Five, which I have not watched in a while, There's for a reason obvious why. reasons. Yeah, for obvious reasons. I thought, you know, that would have been an excellent way. Like if they had stuck with that, I, I think that would have been an excellent way to transition Rocky's character into something new, which they tried to do within the movie. Um, but the, but it fell flat in a lot of different respects. Number one, 
I did like the idea of let's bring Rocky back to his roots. He's going from the champion of the world, having the mansion, having all this money, to moving back to inner city Philadelphia. I I loved the idea of bringing his story full circle like that. I didn't like how they did it, though. I thought, why would you have, like, why would you put your money in the hands of Uncle Paulie? You just don't do that. You do not do that. Rocky would not have stood for that. Adrian definitely would not have stood for that. Like, why would you put your hand, your money in the hands of a guy who is not trustworthy, even though he is family, and they redeem Paulie's character time and again, it feels like, throughout the series? You don't do that. Like, it should have been some other means of Rocky going bankrupt or losing his money. Like, maybe it was from all the extravagance, because... He ends up living pretty extravagantly then. Why not go with something a little bit more believable than saying, yeah, he put he put his money in the hands of Paulie and then Paulie went through a very shady accountant and it just it it didn't work that way. Um the George Washington Duke character. I know that I know they're they're basing it off of promoters and stuff. I, I thought that they they made that too much too cartoonish with with that character. Well, to see and Don it, King, it was almost a very accurate representation. Right. It, it's a very it, it's a Don King parallel, very direct. But I I don't I, I I thought it went over the top though. At the same time of of adding that element in when you are trying to make it more of a grassroots back to the core kind of movie with going back to the original they brought back the original director you know those those types of things it ended up becoming too much of a juxtaposition to that um, where it, it was cartoonish in the way that he was presented like if they could have toned his character down or if they could have they, if they could have used his character in a more I don't know in, in a better way rather than just becoming this this sideshow it it would have worked a lot better. And I think there was a missed opportunity as well with Rocky juggling his relationships between his son and this up-and-coming boxer, Tommy Gunn. I think they could have done a much better job of putting those things on parallel tracks with each other. Like, going back to, to Mickey's gym, I thought was was a great idea. Uh, you know, going right back to the beginning there. Having Rocky going into training. I thought was a good idea. And going back into training other boxers, working with one. Why not parallel Rocky trying to work through his relationship with his son and what it would mean to be a good father? Um, And, of course, they had Stallone's real-life son there uh, taking part in that. Why not parallel him trying to to juggle how to be able to do that better alongside how to be able to to do that with an up-and-coming boxer like they did. Instead, they they used the promoter bit and they 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 went that route and, and they turned Tommy Gunn into a villain with it when I don't even necessarily think they should have or if you wanted to turn him into a villain for part of the movie, why not bring him back then? Much like Rocky and his son were able to work things out in the end, why not do the same with Tommy Gunn? Because I thought the... I thought that making the... the climax... Rocky in a street fight with him, I thought was just, I, I thought that was a real, real low. I, I look back on the ending of that movie, and that movie, for for all of its work trying to be a a very grassroots movie, which I think it, it, it could have been and should have been, 
it ended up becoming another a, a super campy movie in the end when it didn't have to be. And it's like if you could have worked on those parallel relationships more, I think you could have really worked back to the heart of what the movies were all about. Um, well, the the original movie especially, and especially if you're going to bring Rocky out of his opulence and back into a little bit more of a normal life. Um, commit more to Rocky learning from his own experiences as a fighter, passing them on to Tommy Gunn, passing them on to his son, and end it with a climax of maybe it, maybe it is Tommy Gunn who has more of a legitimate fight against that guy who took Rocky's vacated title than what ended up being in the movie itself, and and have that be your climax and Rocky there alongside him for that, rather than. Rocky in some random street fight where it suddenly doesn't matter that he's got brain damage and that he's out there in this fight um, out in out in the street no less and which ended up just being a ridiculous fight in and of itself too and and make it something a little bit more of a passing of the torch where Rocky it, Rocky's passing the torch and yet he is still at the center uh, of all of this but he's trying to figure out how to juggle his worlds in a new way. And and you can really then, I mean, you could focus on the boxing side of it considerably, but you could also focus more on the, he's he's got to pick up the pieces of his home life now too. One that maybe he's not spent as much time around in the recent movies because he had risen to all the fame that he did. So that's that's what I would do with that movie because I think there were enough pieces there that it could have worked as a movie, but I don't think they, they fully formed them. And some of those things manifested themselves in Creed with Rocky becoming Adonis's trainer there and it it worked as a great movie then. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. I uh excuse me. I think uh you're very much on the right trail. I think I would throw in another element, a large element that uh where Rocky's trying to jump right into Mickey's boots. I think Rocky misses a huge part of any athlete's journey when you come to the end. This is you have a short shelf life when you're an athlete, professional athlete. I mean, by the time you're in your 30s, how many professional athletes make it into their 40s? I mean, just still doing that high-level kind of thing. It's rare, thin air. It just doesn't really happen. So I think that's what is missing. How do you finally work to settle that itch that's inside your body? It's still there, but you physically can't do it anymore. How do you quiet that? And it's not a wonderful transition for a lot of people. Some people are able to make it. And other people, not so much. And there's always that a couple of things you can do. There's always ESPN. They'd love to have you do color commentating. But what if you want a different road? You know, and you just kind of want to get away from things. How does Rocky come off that high? It's almost like you think about the whole Rocky franchise as sort of a lemon drop. He starts as a nobody. It just swells up into something giant. Plus, it was the 80s where everything was swollen up and giant. And then it kind of comes down at the end, and it just shrinks back down almost to where it began in a way the noise, the noise ebbs and flows. And you have to be a part of this, but you have to get away from it. But maybe you're never going to fully get away from it. It's like giving up smoking. I will go and sit in the smoking section and uh, just get a hit, and that's all I need, and then I walk away. Maybe something along those lines in a totally different way and is that, where Rocky goes. And that could have been the centerpiece then of what I talked about with that parallel relationship between his son and and being a trainer for Tommy would be that itch. That itch would be right there at the center of affecting those two relationships and him having to work through dealing with that itch to compete against. So I, I think that's that's a good idea as far as the reasoning, the why behind 
how those two relationships would be impacted then. Maybe almost almost more so. He's very seduced into wanting to be Tommy's mentor and his Mickey character and ultimately says no. And it just doesn't go that way. Tommy and Rocky just don't form that bond. And instead, he clings on to the family. And Tommy Gunn and all the boxing stuff just kind of fades and becomes less of a noise and just barely a whisper by the end of the movie. And he walks off with his family. Any big fight might be one where he's in the stands watching Tommy go. But he's not in this thing at all. Something like that, maybe. Well, Rocky Five kind of did that. I mean, by the end, I mean, they, they had tried to goad Rocky into, into staying with Tommy. And Rocky had said to, he didn't think Tommy was ready for, for that big fight and stepping into that. And then, But then he did. But then it ended up becoming the two of them were turned against each other. And then it turned into it was the 80s. what it was. Everything was so overblown and overhyped in the 80s that there was nowhere for Rocky to go other than that direction. Because it was, what, 1989 when that movie came out? 89 or 90. Somewhere yeah. in there. So, yeah, it, it was what it was. But it was... Um, it was a misfire. Yeah. You know, when you see the end of Rocky Five, and then you get to the beginning of Rocky Balboa, the sixth one, it's quite a leap. It you is. don't get to see him make that transition where they could have done Rocky Five in a different way and maybe opening up Adrian's at the end of the movie. And they sit down and they're having dinner while watching the show. And here's Tommy's fight or something while they're in the restaurant. You know, very removed. I don't know. Just an idea. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. So. Davis talked about a franchise that he'd renovate. I've talked about an individual movie that I would. Let's flip the script now. Dave, an individual movie. What would you want to get your hands on? So talking about this and thinking about this last night when we came up with what we were going to do, last night around the dinner table, I found myself getting very introverted thinking about, hmm, what could I do? Which made for a horrible dinner conversation list at the table last night. So I started to open up and bring my wife into it and I said well I gotta do this and she was going down one idea and another idea and then she she hit on one that I just gravitated around and I tried to pull myself away from it and I kept getting pulled back into the gravity well that's a good idea Van Helsing Kate Beckinsale and Hugh Jackman this was a movie that I myself also very I wanted to see it it looked like it could be fun and then the more I was looking at the trailers the more I was realizing this movie is not going to be very good little sidebar if I found out tomorrow morning that I'm an X-Man and I've got special powers not to tie in another Hugh Jackman property you know what my X-Man mutant ability would be I could tell you within a 90 percentile if the movie trailer is any good if the movie will be any good I can completely believe that based on what we've talked about before. Yeah, I saw the first trailer for Van Helsing. I heard about Van Helsing before I saw anything about it. I was like, ooh, that, okay, that sounds good. And then I saw the trailer. I was like, this looks like a video game. It looks stupid. It looks like a first-person monster shooter game, and that's pretty much what it was. This is a movie that had all the potential in the world to be a really good movie and it completely blew it at every opportunity and they were clearly trying to make a franchise and that right there is part of the problem here's where the problem really started you had a franchise and universal saying well we've got all these great classic monsters just the same thing they did with their attempted start of the dark universe they keep trying to force these things to be something more than they're going to be so let's do it a van helsing movie and we'll get a really good actor to do van helsing and we'll have him come back and he'll come back and he'll battle all these monsters and then they'll battle some more monsters in part two and then there'll be part three it'll be a great yeah but what's it going to be about ah, it doesn't matter people are going to plunk down money at that point you know you've lost right then right there they started to do it again recently with the dark universe okay we're going to make the mummy with with tom cruise and it doesn't matter what the whole thing's going to be about because it's going to tie into this other big thing and right there you sunk the boat at the dock 
You need to go one step at a time. If you do it well, people are going to want more. And so that's where you go. What they should have done is done a very Indiana Jones-esque, gritty. You know, the, there will be adventure points when the mummies or whatever break out and they're chasing you through the cave or whatever that Van Helsing's got to get out of there. But he can't be a superhero. The best thing about Indiana Jones is that he's a very flawed, very mortal guy who limps, who bleeds, who at some point you're not even sure if he'll make it through the movie. He might not make it. Van Helsing is the is the antithesis to Dracula, but they're going to bring him into a whole bunch of other stuff, including Frankenstein. All right, fine. But let's do it in a way that's not so CGI heavy at a time that CGI was not ready to carry that burden, for one. Yeah. And two, let's make it something based in reality. Even though we're talking monsters, they're only going to take that one leap with you. So, okay, monsters exist. All right, there's your leap. Make it work in a way that if, if monsters did exist... Let's make it look like it would look like if it was real. Let's let Van Helsing go on a quest to find, not that I want to steal something from the Monster Squad, but the amulet that'll help keep the forces of darkness at bay. And maybe that's the ongoing MacGuffin through this series of movies. He's got to find this special amulet thing that will close the portal to allow these monsters to come into the real world or whatever the case is. So he has to go on an Indiana Jones-esque hike to get these things with henchmen of evil that are going to do anything they can do to unearth this thing. And it's very Indiana Jones-esque. It's very realistic. It's gritty. You want to make it an adventure quest kind of thing. Yes, but a dark one. You know, much more like Temple of Doom. You know, where you've got maybe a cult oh boy. that are in favor of bringing this stuff back, and they've got some degree of dark magic or whatever you want to call it on their own. And then, of course, the boss, which is yet to come, is when they can release the monster. And maybe they don't get the monster totally put away. Maybe it's like Jason. We've we've only nailed him up for a while. You know, and he, he this is only going to, this is a Band-Aid. At some point, he's going to come back, and maybe he's, there's more things, and they've got control of the amulet. We buried it deep enough, but it's only going to take so long for them to dig it up. If you make a compelling, fun, dark, thrilling action movie with horror elements, you've got something. But instead, you've got him with basically a wooden stake machine gun that it's just things like that. There were so many instances and bad CGI and all kinds of things, corny dialogue that over and over and over and over again in a, what, a 90-minute movie pulled me right out of the movie and reminded me where I was and what I was doing and that I was late for an appointment and rather than getting lost in the movie. That movie could have been a whole lot more than what it was. But you get the feeling watching it that it was, it was a cereal box with a prize inside, and all we're going to do is try to market the heck out of this, and if we can get a lunchbox you know, side on to, to go with this for kids to buy, even better. Oh, and the action figure line will be... But they were more concerned about marketing something rather than making something, and they've done it again with the Dark Universe, and until they could figure out how to do it right, and maybe someone's listening to the podcast, if you treat it with respect and reverence and dark and gothic, the only thing gothic about it was the set piece, Beyond that, there was nothing gothic about it. It was an action shooter video game where we could, if we could have a horde of vampires come out infinitely just so that we could, you know, scap them off because we're short an action sequence because polling shows that every 17 minutes you have to have an action sequence. So, okay, we'll have a zombie horde of vampires. No, you did it wrong. You did it wrong. Start over. The poor use of CGI is going to be a common theme here about the movies that we are talking about in the back half of this podcast. Yeah, 
especially at a time where, like you said, CGI was still being fully developed as far as being able to use it, that that was a bad time to lean into it as heavily as a lot of movies tend to use it today. Some do it very well, some not so much, but that again, there's an example of not using it very well. I've not seen Van Helsing. I've heard about it, Skip it. from people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've heard Sorry. about it. I remember when it came out, there was a lot. I, there was excitement surrounding it, and then the excitement just went. Whoosh, it There's was air out of the balloon going you, out of it. You had all the ingredients there. You really did. And then some things. Well, we'll double this, and we'll double. Yeah, but that's what about the rest of the recipe? No, no, no. It just was a bad. It was a great concept, and then somebody who had no business involved in making a movie that was only interested in making money got involved. Well, let's make it bigger and it's got to be exciting. We got to follow the numbers. No, you, you had a really great idea and you screwed it up from the moment somebody said, yeah, let's make that. Now you got other voices coming involved and it just, you feel like it just got turned into something completely different. Yeah. Van Helsing is nothing special about him as far as like superpowers. He just seems to know how to find a way to make it work. And he believes in vampires, and he's well-knowledged about this stuff. He's not an idiot. Like, what the heck is that? He knows exactly what it is, and he knows exactly how to get in there, use your intelligence on it. But rather than that, it turned into mythical action video game shooter. So is he like a, a vampire MacGyver a little bit then? Sort of. <laughs> you know, it's hard to pigeonhole exactly what Abraham Van Helsing is because Dracula has become more than the sum of its parts. You know, if, the, if you're going to go back to the original book where Van Helsing shows up, he just was a scientist that knew about vampires. When everybody else is, oh, vampires, posh, what is a vampire going to do here? You know, but he actually knew something about vampires, so when one showed up, he knew what to do. That's basically Van Helsing. But, you know, since then, he's become more of an archetype. When you get into the Hammer films, you have Christopher Lee and you have Peter Cushing, and they had a good playoff rivalry, very much like Holmes and, and uh, Moriarty, more or less. That's kind of what it began. So come up with a version to do Van Helsing. If it's going to be more than just Dracula and you're going to have the potential for other things to come out, all right, what does Van Helsing have? That others don't. Maybe he is a, a mocked professor of obscure mythology, beastology, whatever you want to call it. That's just a load of rubbish. And then something happens. Something escapes from the Museum of uh, Antiquities or something. And only Van Helsing can go in and stop because he's actually learned about stuff that people don't believe in. You know, but maybe it's building to, you know, Dracula, who's like the Blofeld of this universe, who's kind of pulling the strings a little bit. There's ways to do it in a way that's not campy, and it's done very, very well, And but it didn't happen that way. See, you're talking about a singular movie, and yet you're also talking about it in a way of this could have been done to be able to expand on sure. it. Then. If you, you leave some threads, but... But like you talked about off the onset, don't think so much about what what is all this going to mean in the, the grand scheme of things right away. Go, let's focus on building a good origin story for starters and then go from there. Think of it as a part. Think, don't even think of it as part one. Just make a good movie that stands alone yeah. that has other threads that kind of lead off stage to places you don't see and you don't explore. That's what the sequel is for. Well, I wonder how this happened. And stay away from prequels. Well, let's find out how this came to be in the first. No, 
don't. Part of the mythology of these characters is, huh, I wonder how that happened. And let it happen in your own mind. The scariest scenes in Jaws are when you don't see the shark. Your mind fills that in. How did Hannibal Lecter get to be so weird? Don't do a prequel movie and destroy the whole thing in the process. Let people figure it out on their own in their own mind. That's the scariest stuff. The stuff that happens off screen. I wonder if this. I wonder if he was abused. I wonder... Let that be the backstory. Whatever you think it is, you're right. Yeah. And then just pick up where it starts, and that's where it starts. And let your mind fill it in. And that's part of the joy that people don't realize. Anyway. Anyway. You have a franchise, my boy. I do. That was completely off the beaten path as far as expectation, but that was cool. It it sounds like a riveting discussion at the dinner table. Maybe I'm thinking about Halloween early. I'm a big Halloween fan. Maybe that's what it is. It's not even end of August and I'm already, I don't know. Well, okay. So for franchises, I thought about a couple, (laughs) I thought about a couple of different franchises. No star Wars. Um, That's low hanging fruit. Correct. It is. I'm I'm not going to pull from that tree. Um, I thought a little bit about X-Men. I I consider that I, because there are some great X-Men movies. I think First Class is phenomenal. Yeah. I think the the first Days one or two of past the original really ones, Days of Future Past was great. The director's um, version is especially. If you get a chance to watch one or the other, skip the theatrical, go right to the director's cut, and just make that the only one. Yeah. That's an awesome version. But it, it all petered out so badly, which was a shame, yeah. um, because it, it had started off so well with the revival of it. Um, and then there's... The Last Stand, which was just well, not good. But I'm not going to talk about X Men. I'm I'm going to go, I'm going to go a little bit more conventional. This is a series that uh, this is a yeah a series that I've talked about before, that I've spoken about before, that I've said has needed to be fixed before, and I'm talking about The Hobbit. Eh. Yeah, I know it. It's maybe a little bit obvious with me, but I was so greatly disappointed with how The Hobbit played out. So greatly disappointed because the Lord of the Rings movies had worked so well. They they had Peter Jackson and the whole crew had taken a concept that many felt could not be done on the big screen. They felt it could not be done, and they pulled it off. They they found a way to be able to put the Hobbit out there and and make. Or, sorry, to put the Lord of the Rings out there, those three books, and make them into movies. They called and, it unfilmable. Right. They did call it unfilmable, and yet they did it, and they were masterful. They were masterful movies. Um, they, they, they really hit at the heart. So, ten years later, when, when the idea comes along of, hey, we're going to put The Hobbit on screen, it sounded great. It, it was like, this is awesome. It, it's about time. Then there, then the talk began of how many movies there would be. There was, we're going to make two movies. It was like, okay, yeah, I, I think that that would work. I think you could do two movies out of, out of the one book there. Sure. We're going to make three movies. You're what? When I heard it was three movies, I was worried immediately. Even though they said we're going to use other source material, we're going to use other things that, um, that Tolkien had, had written, related to Middle-earth, related to the story, and we're going to use those things to tie into what came about then with the Lord of the Rings movies. When I heard three movies, I was concerned. I was very concerned. When I saw the first movie, I liked it. It was very good. It had heart. And yet at the same time, it, it all felt like Ring precur- it all felt like precursor. I mean, the big moment in that movie was, uh, there were two big moments. There was Bilbo's Riddlefest with Gollum, 
And there was that that final battle at the very end, which really was only setting the stage for bigger battles still to come. And it, it felt like they just threw that battle in there uh, just so that they could have a climax of some sort. Then the second movie, uh, the, the second movie as far as moving the story along was good. And yet there was filler stuff in there that, so, I'm sorry Evangeline Lilly, I'm sorry, your character did not exist. Your character didn't exist, they just created a character for her in there and, and threw her in. So, they moved some things along nicely, they added conjecture in other areas where it was not required. And then the third movie was just a mess of CGI, uh, just an awful mess of CGI, so poorly done. CGI that you had seen in the other movies was lacking, not very good. I think especially in in the second one that had been the case. You you see it on an even greater scale in the third movie and you go, my gosh, they they are treating the CGI as if we are still in the early 2000s when the original Lord of the Rings movies were released. And they've got this kind of quality to it. It's It was just not good with, with the quality that they had to it. So what I would do is I, I'd trim it down to two movies, for starters. It, you know, just down to two. I would take out some of the extra fluff in there. I, I think I would have... I would have shortened Gandalf's side quest a little bit and and maybe taken out some uh, some of the more unnecessary elements there. I would have shortened some of the other side quests like the Elven one. Um, I, I would have taken out some of the lesser elements to the traveling party's journey of getting to Erebor. And I would have I would have struck those things out from from the story. What it would have looked like then is you start out with the beginning of the quest. They they start their journey. Bilbo meets Gollum. Maybe you go through some other encounters along the way there. And then when they are on the verge of reaching Fishtown, that is where I would have found a point to end the first movie. Where they're they're on the brink. Second movie. Uh, but But also, you leave in the elements of... There is this conflict that's coming with the war that ends up taking place and the battle of the five armies that takes place. You set the elements for that in the first movie too and have that go on more or less in the background but also as part of the the group's quest. Second movie picks up immediately with going into Fishtown and and they start to they, they start to go through um, dealing with everything there. Then going to the mountain, their encounters with with uh, Smaug. Then Smog comes and, and attacks Fishtown and all of that. Have that be in the center of the movie, much like in Return of the King, the Battle of Minas Tirith being in the center of the movie. And then the end, the Battle of the Five Armies, becomes your climax, shortening that up, making that part of it, not making it this long, incredibly drawn-out, incredibly CGI'd battle. Make that be your climax, and then, of course, the return to the Shire beyond that and how that leads into the Lord of the Rings movies. Leaner, more tight, and constructed better as far as don't think about the cash cow. They they thought about the cash cow and the story suffered from it as a result. And 
don't think about trying to add in other elements. Don't think too much about adding supplemental material. Only add some of those things that are going to be relevant to the story, but don't and and let the, and, and try find the heart again at the center of all of it. Find the heart. It felt like every movie they it felt like they were rediscovering the heart of the story again. And that's what happens when you're taking one singular book and you're making three stories out of it is it feels like boy we've got to conjure up another heart story again with this at least with the lord of the rings each book had its own element and each story had its own element of this is a part of the journey and the progress of the journey with the hobbit it was like we've got we've got to wring out heart from this and it was impossible to do so in a very authentic way because they were doing three movies from one book you do two movies from one book that way, I think you're going to have an easier time making it more authentic in Striking to the Heart. I think the one word that I was waiting for you to say but you didn't say was diluted. It was way <laughs> too watered down because yeah. how do you how do you make if you have only one thing of concentrated orange and juice? And that's diluted, make, not diluted. Yeah. It's diluted. How, how do you make more orange juice? You put in more water. Yeah, but then it tastes less like orange juice, more like water. You need to find more orange juice to put in there from concentrate to make it taste the same. It's it's when you're trying to make one book into like the same the, the same thing with the Hunger Games Part Two, you know Twilight the final movie Part One and Part Two. It's just another way to get people to see the same movie twice and then see it again. Let's turn the Hobbit into three movies. Well, we did that with the Lord of the Rings, yeah, but there were three books and they more or less made each of those books into its own movie. There's some crossover, I get it, but uh, it is what it is. The Hobbit, let's do three. You know people will go see it, so let's do it. And it almost seemed like you got the same crew, same director, a lot of the same cast. They're back, and they'd all had such an amazing time doing masterful artisan work on The Lord of the Rings. Let's have them do it again. And they'd all even indicated, I'd love to go back, and I'd love to do this. But it seemed to me, did it seem to you, like with each movie, it seemed like all of them were more or less looking at their wristwatch to see what time it is because they have other things to do. Let's just yeah. get it over with. Yeah. How does how does a, you do a show, and the, the first Lord of the Rings movies came out from 01 to 03, and the CGI looked spectacular. It really did. It doesn't age at all. Even today, it looks like it's cutting edge. It probably will 20 years from now. I mean, they, they got a little carried away with some elements of it, especially in Return of the King, you know, with, with Legolas taking down the elephant. You know, they're, they they got a little carried away with something sure. like that. But, but it but, didn't take away. How come they no. didn't learn from their own lesson of how to do it right? How did they screw it up? Or is it just a way to cut ends and round corners and I, think, I don't know? I think that's part of what it was. I think it was also taking the... Because the Hobbit is more the Hobbit is more of a children's book than the Lord of the Rings yes. books are, and I th- I think that was a that was part of it softening the edges on that a little bit, um, but it ended up making it into looking very cartoonish as a result, and it ended up being very poor. And they tried to combine that with. We're gonna we're gonna make this still very adult themed in some ways and have some maybe some pretty scary characters like the main the main orc villain in there, but it didn't it, it didn't work out then because like you said the CGI yeah you just were left going what happened you'd think ten years down the line we'd get something closer to Planet of the Apes than to something that looks like it was at the dawn of CGI. I think beyond even that. 
Peter Jackson had done such an amazing job with the Lord of the Rings trilogy and New Line, of course, we had the rights to that. They had other things they wanted Peter Jackson to get involved in. But I'd like to do The Hobbit. Yeah, we'd like you to do that too. But first, we'd like, you wonder if they, how much of a Let's dangle. Let's do King Kong. Sure. Yeah. You wonder how much of a dangling was going on. We'll let you get around to The Hobbit and go back to Middle Earth. But first, here's a hoop we want you to jump through. But by the time you finally jump over all the hoops and go through all the fire and you finally get what you want, we'd also like to do this. Maybe Peter Jackson didn't want to make three movies. He wanted to do The Hobbit, make one movie, get his cast back together and go back. But there was a lot of, you wonder, I'm speculating, but I think there's a lot of smoke where this fire was. And they diluted it and kind of pulled the heart right out of them. How many times have you wanted to go do something? Maybe you wanted to play wiffle ball in the backyard, but some element, maybe somebody that was there didn't want to play and it made it less fun for you. Now you're only into the seventh inning and you're done. You don't want to go to nine innings. I think two movies would have been perfectly agreeable because then you get a little bit more revenue out of having a second movie to it. You're able to to add more details to the story than perhaps you could have already. And again, going back to that word, which I, I thought was a great word choice on your part, you're you're not diluting the the product. You you are not causing it to get super watered down because by the by the time the battle of the five armies came around that's what it felt like you know this should be this sweeping climax and it ended up becoming just over bloated and, and yet while being over bloated it was a diluted kind of over bloated because it was like you've added elements that just were never even there in the first place well you had to how can you turn you one book to. into three movies so it, it was too much it was a bad idea it, it should have been done but completely different here's what should have happened Peter Jackson, you've done what we've asked you to do. Here are the keys to the car. Make it the way you made the first trilogy. Whatever you're going to do, we're on board. We will fund it. Please don't kill us. You know, don't don't break the bank. If this is going to be one movie or two, or hey, you could do three if you really want to, wink, nudge, but make this right. Do it. Do it the way you did the first one. We will support you. We will not draw out the map for you. That's your job. We'll just back you up. That's what should have happened. Didn't happen. And the results are going to live in Hollywood infamy. Maybe Amazon Prime should have focused on doing The Hobbit instead of focusing on The Lord of the Rings themselves, the, the original three uh, three stories. Maybe they should have focused on The Hobbit, for starters, with that TV series. They Honestly, have coming up. why would you redo The Lord of the Rings? Why would you redo The Wizard right. of Oz? Why would you redo right. Psycho? They're all perfect. Don't touch them. Leave them alone. They have been definitively made. If you want to do an expansion to or a companion piece to or redo The Hobbit, great. Do that. But don't redo what has been done so perfectly. You can't reinvent the wheel. So why do you keep trying money, 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 money? I think, yeah, it's well, it's money. And I believe what, what they're thinking is that they can really get into the source material within the course of a series and, and really, I mean... Not not have to fit it within the confines of a feature film like what the Lord of the Rings had to do with each book because those books are thick. They are oh, yeah. thick. I have read them. There is so much detail there that would be available to flesh out within the course of a TV series. But um, I think what I think it comes down to is it, filmmaking is a business. You want to make money. I get it. You know, but art will suffer for this to a point. Yeah, but you have to have a ratio here. And at some point, art 
has to win out over money. It just has to. Or what are you doing? You're going to make some horrible movie and then wonder why people aren't going to see it. Well, you wasted all this money. Well, yeah, you were so focused on the money, you didn't look at all at the art, and now look what's happening. You have to walk that line. You have to find the ratio, and you have to know when business trumps art and when art trumps business. And if you've already got the best version of Lord of the Rings out there, it's never going to be beaten. It just will not. Not in my lifetime anyway, it won't. Leave it alone. It's done. It's been done. Leave it alone. If You're you want to see the Lord the of the Rings again, there's talk now. They have like a 16-hour version of all the movies, all the stuff that was cut out, put back in. I mean, it would take almost a day. You'll get up in the morning early, skip breakfast, and get right into Lord of the Rings, and it'll go into a late night, and you'll get to see it all. That's your that's your ultimate prize. That's what you get. Now go back to bed. Leave it alone. If you want to do some other further adventure in Middle Earth, come up with something for real. Hire people that know Tolkien and write the second Lord of the Rings trilogy. Why not? You know, come something else. Don't try to bring Bilbo back. He's gone. Do the next thing. Don't try to bring Gandalf back. He's done his thing. He's done. Be creative. Make it art and make it work. If, if you can make it work on the page, make a print. Make a book of it. Was it good? Now make a film version of it. Make it good. Do that if you want to do a return to Lord of the Rings rather than, that was so well done. Let's do it again for our thing so you can all stream. <laughs> no, you, I know you saw it, but yeah. you didn't see this version. What happens if it's bad? This is, you know. Do this, the Silmarillion or something. How yeah. much, this is going to go down in history as the most expensive television show because it's really what it is. Yeah. Ever made, ever. What happens if it's bad? What happens if it is money, it's a money grab just on the name Lord of the Rings and you've made a steaming pile of something, now you've got a real problem. Did art come into factor here at all or was it all about the money? Take a look at The Hobbit. That's their risk. They can have fun with that. So, How much fun are you having when you're in the poor house? Well, we have... We've said before, if you don't have a reason to make it, that's based on some level of artisticness. We oh, you have a great idea for real, yeah. not just for money. I really want to see this. Do that. That's a good motivation to go rather than Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. Well, mm. I lost my Subaru spokesmanship. I bet as well bring Mick Dundee back and the movie horrible, or like remaking Ben Hur or yeah. something. That was, when I saw the first trailer for that, I was like, "What is going on here? Why? 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 There's no." Reason, especially the time anyway. travel element where he came back with a Honda chariot. <laughs> no wonder he won the race. This got horsepower under that thing. That's Literal totally a cheat. Horsepower, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we have moved that bus, moved that bus on the renovations that we've done with these movies. If only they could be real, but this was fun, Dave. You know, I'll tell you what, one thing we could anybody could sit in an armchair and be a quarterback, and man, I would have done this movie better and I would have done it different, and I get it. Everybody that really likes a show, that really likes to be entertained and not just consume time while they're sitting in an airport layover, I don't care what I watch, as long as it lasts for two hours, so that's how long my layover is. And I think that's nowadays what movies are being built for, unfortunately. But there are exceptions. I want to sit down and be entertained and not hear some great things about a movie, then finally sit down and see it and wonder what the heck the hype was all about and realize that's all it was, was a mirage of hype and there's nothing underneath the frosting to make it a good cake. So it just doesn't excite me. So I like the concept. Now execute it well. Van Helsing, geez, you guys 
blew that one. It could have been really something good, and now you're never going to get a chance to see another good shark movie because Jaws the Revenge killed it. You know, let's make it better so that if something does extend from this, it's something worthwhile that people will give a rip about. James Bond works because they did it right and they did it right and so on and so forth. Hits and misses, but they overall have done it right, and now you've got great movies. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I'm less wary about oh. seeing Indy 5 now, but yeah. we'll see. I mean, Rocky V put the series in mothballs for 15 years. They until... were going to do Creed. I was like, oh, Lord, Sylvester Stallone, you need to let it go. But was I wrong? They really had something to say. So M- good. Might even be the best in the series. It could throw its hat in the ring. It, it could, yeah. But I don't think it could exist on its own if it wasn't for the Rocky franchise. Correct, yep. I mean... Yeah, Rocky Five put that whole series in mothballs. Then Rocky Balboa brought it back really well, and then it set the stage, thankfully, to go into those Creed movies. And then when when we got there, it was like, what a great concept, because they did it well, and they had good people involved with it, too. And again, The Hobbit, I mean, we saw there. We saw just the, the error of trying to go after the money and maybe, maybe not parsing things down when they should have. You know, I think the key to a good, the the Creed movies is the training character, in this case, Rocky. In the Rocky movies, it's Mickey. And Mickey, you're just told he's a good grizzled boxer who knows the background. But that's just because you're being told so, and he kind of exhibits that. But you don't know what he's gone through before. When Rocky becomes the Mickey character later in the Creed movies, you know he's a grizzled boxer. You've seen those wars in the ring. You know, you've seen all of it, and you know where he's been, and now he is the old, grizzled, broken-down Mickey character. That's the key to making Rocky good. That's the key. It's not so much the love story. That's a big part of it, but I think Mickey is the key that makes it work. Rocky is the key to making Creed work, at least to start. Mickey dies off in the third movie. There's talk that Creed, that Rocky's walking away as a character from the Creed movies, and he may or may not be involved in Creed 3, or he might, you know, maybe like Mickey, have a heart attack and die in Rocky 3. Maybe Creed 3, Rocky kicks it. Who knows? But Rocky has done his part, just like Mickey had done his part. To see that journey lends a lot more credibility to it, and it just makes it work. And it, it does. really does. And that's why I thought that that idea of him becoming the trainer and really committing more to that and, and having him learn through being the trainer uh, would have worked better in Rocky Five than what they ultimately elected to do with that whole concept. Yeah. So, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Hopefully we gave you a few ideas today about how you would, because again, like you said, Dave, it's easy to point and go, that movie was terrible, or I, I still have nightmares about that movie and about how badly it was made. It's easy to say that. It's a whole other thing to go. Try what this. are you going to do about it? Try this. That's right. Not that we know any better. Just, you know, it's an idea that right. seems to be not driven by money, but something artistic. And especially when you're talking about franchises, stop trying to build a franchise. Do one thing right that has nothing really well. to do with what might follow it. And if you do it right, if you build it, the rest will come. And who knows? Maybe these are conversations that you will have around the dinner table. Study the MCU. Boy, that's an example of how to do it right. That's right. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at the movies.